Hi everyone, you are listening to LD Spotlight, a podcast about learning and development brought to you by Nifty Learning. I'm your host, Liz Stefan, and together we're here to learn about LD. Hi everyone, hi Andre, welcome back. Andre Postolake is founder at Seriously. He's a leadership and soft skills consultant. He's the author of Finding Fearless Leadership and an amateur camper, YouTuber, and pilot. Nice to talk to you again. Hello, everyone. For today, we've prepared a very specific topic, a very interesting topic, in my opinion, which is how a leader communicates with their team or team member when they make a mistake. This is also a suggestion coming from you, so thank you for that. I think that you might have some examples in mind. Would you like to kick us off with what prompted you to suggest this topic? Yes, it's a topic I suggested because it's one of those things that is really important and that will happen many times on a day-to-day basis. I don't mean how to communicate to a member of your team when they make a huge mistake, which might happen rarely. I mean how to communicate and address the situation with a member of your team when they make one of those day-to-day mistakes, which we all make pretty frequently and they're normal to a large degree. This is one of those things where you get a chance to show to that person and to the other team, if they see that communication, if it's public in a way, if you actually believe in all the things you've been saying as a leader, because many leaders have a good speech. We believe in this and we believe in that and we put people first and we like autonomy and we like innovation. And when something bad quote unquote happens, how do you react? And that reaction is going to be a hundred times more important than the speeches you gave. And this is your opportunity as a leader to actually show to your people that you believe in what you say and to actually create that kind of a culture. And that's why I think it's something really, really important. First, with a more learning and development oriented question, can you learn this if you don't have this skill of how to speak to your team in these moments? Is this a thing that you can learn through a learning program? I think you can learn everything. And I generally think that far fewer things are things we're born with than we usually manage. I think sometimes people have this idea that, oh, that person is naturally good at leadership. They have it. I think that's exaggerated. I think a lot of people can do a lot of things. We have a lot of stereotypes usually that we look at some people that are maybe more extrovert, maybe they behave in a certain way, and we associate that with good leadership, for example. And then we look at another person that maybe is a bit more shy and maybe doesn't have the same auditory skills and we say "Eh, that doesn't quite look like a leader well yeah it doesn't look like the stereotype of the leader but maybe they're a great leader so that aside i think yeah people can learn if they are willing to put in the effort required for it can you think of an example or a situation where either you have had to speak to someone who made a mistake or you've seen it happen in practice and can you walk us through the process or the steps starting with the mistake let's say let's take an example we have a project manager, a team, and they deliver with that team a project to a client. And the project manager makes the following mistake. At some point in that project, the client complains about something that wasn't done the way they wanted it to be done. And the project manager's reaction, which is the mistake, is to get very defensive and to sort of start arguing in detail that, okay, but this wasn't agreed and look at what the specifications that we have. And this wasn't exactly written like this. There was no way we could know about it. And it gets to be a very defensive conversation. Okay. So let's say you're the leader of this project manager and you want to coach them, explain to them that this is not the right 
right way to do it and teach them the right way to do it. There's almost like an algorithm, a guideline for how to approach this. The first question you ask yourself is, do they know they made a mistake or not? Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Maybe that project manager in the heat of the moment in that conversation with the client, they said some things that were not constructive, but maybe they cooled down after and they realized themselves, okay, I made a mistake. If this is the case, then you don't need to tell them too much. You just need to talk to them, be supportive. So you realize you made a mistake. Okay, what do you think the mistake was? I got too defensive. I got too emotional. I should have tried to understand more their point of view, not necessarily agree with them, but have a more mature conversation and understand their point of view and try to reach a constructive solution. Okay, do you need anything else from me? Do you think you'll be able to do this the next time? What can I help you with such the next time you're in this situation, you will be able to have a better reaction? And it's that kind of a conversation. On the other hand, if the project manager is not aware that they made a mistake, and sometimes they're not, maybe they're thinking, I was right. The client was trying to push unagreed things on us, and I successfully defended my team because my team is overworked, and I actually protected them from extra work that wasn't even agreed, and I did a good job. Then you have to take a step back when you talk to them, and you have to explain to them what is the mistake. And in this kind of a conversation, you have to make sure you don't say the wrong thing to this project manager. If you just go to them and tell them, okay, you are wrong, because you also want to always understand the point of view of the customer and make sure we offer them some kind of a solution. If you just tell them something like that, that's not enough. You haven't helped them enough to understand the mistake that they made. Because it's not like they wanted to not reach a solution. They had this other thing in the back of their mind, which was protecting the team from extra work, because maybe the team was really tired and they wanted to protect the team. So by just telling them something like this, you're not actually getting to the core of the issue. The first thing to do is actually listen and ask a couple of questions. I heard you had a tense conversation with the client and I heard, you know, you guys argued on something. Tell me what happened. And you just listen to them. We had this meeting and the client said, this is wrong. You need to do it in a different way. In which case, I told them that this is not how you agreed. And now you ask another question. Okay, why do you think they were expecting it to be done in a different way? It's almost like the Socratic method. You ask a few questions, you ask them to tell you what happened. That will help you understand a lot more about the mistake they've made. That will help them understand a lot more. And if you listen to what happened, then you have legitimacy to give advice, right? They will listen to your advice more because you know what happened. If you just go in and you tell that project manager, hey man, I heard something and that's not okay. That's not how we do it. Don't do it again. You don't really know what you're talking about. You don't actually know what happened, right? But if you listen a little bit, now you know what happened and they know you know what happened. They appreciate the fact that you took the time to listen to them. So when you have some advice now, they're that much more likely to actually listen to it. And then you need to recognize that they also had some valid points, right? I appreciate the fact that you are trying to protect the team. I appreciate the fact that you care that the team is tired. At the same time, we also need to do this other thing, you know, understand the client, understand their point of view, not overreact and just navigate these things in a way that we find some kind of a solution that is good for everyone. If you approach it in this kind of a way, you'll have a much higher chance of actually getting through to that person and them learning something from you. You need to take a little bit of time and you need to understand what happened. The most common mistake I see with leaders when they talk to someone about a mistake is they don't actually take the time to understand what happened. And the time could be five minutes. You don't need to spend an hour necessarily. Just listen for five minutes. So I think your first question as a leader should be what happened. In your own words, tell me what happened and take it from there. 
Okay, so if I summarize what you're telling me, when someone in my organization makes a mistake, for me to showcase true leadership, I first should ask questions about what happened so that I'm informed about the situation. This generates two additional things. One of them is you actually create the trust with that person. They feel comfortable telling you the truth. And once you have that trust, you are able to actually give advice that they listen to. So that particular step of asking questions is the thing that builds the trust, which gives the opportunity for that advice to actually be listened to. And when you ask those questions, you should make sure that you understand also the person's motivation for having reacted like that, because there might be some valid points in that person's position. Yes. Okay. Can you give some examples? Yes. And some motivations are much more forgivable than others. In this example, where the project manager was trying to protect the team, ensure that the team is not overworked and just deliver on time according to the initially agreed plan. I can understand that. I can empathize with that. And I think that's a good intention. They didn't have the maturity or the presence of mind to also understand other things. But fundamentally speaking, they were trying to do a good thing as they understood it. But for example, let's assume the project manager was simply being arrogant or was simply bored or just not caring, I will not support that at all, right? So if after that conversation, after asking what happened, what I'm finding out is that this project manager is just arrogant for no good reason, then I will have a much more severe reaction on my side. I will be much less supportive of that. In the previous example, I was very supportive, right? I understand what you tried to do. I think that's good. But you also need to learn this additional thing and let's see how you can learn to balance both. So it's a pretty positive kind of feedback overall. But if I find out, for example, that I had an arrogant project manager, then I won't give them that kind of positive feedback. I will outright tell them this is completely unacceptable. We need to take quite a few steps back and make sure you understand what we're trying to do here. It's a completely different reaction because their motivation makes all the difference. People that make mistakes trying to do the right thing, as they understand it, they get a second chance, a third chance, they get many chances. People that make mistakes because they're just not caring, they don't get a lot of second chances. What about when peers make mistakes, colleagues? Let's say you and I are on the same team. I did something wrong, but you are not my team leader. You're not in a leadership position. How do you communicate to me that, in your opinion, I may have made a mistake in such a way that I still feel part of the same team working towards the same goal and I don't become defensive? It helps a lot if you have the right culture in that team, because if you have a culture of honesty and trust and the leader exemplifies it as well, then these things are easy. They're only difficult the first time, right? Let's say we have a team of people that don't give each other feedback. And if you're the first one to do it, the first one to say it to a team member, hey, maybe you could have done that differently. It's going to be a bit weird. I would first and foremost find a way to give that feedback, not in public, if it's at all possible. Most people don't take feedback in public very well. I will find a way to chat about it, maybe not necessarily have a specific meeting about that. After another conversation finishes, I'll address this as well. And I'll address it in a way in which I don't want to rush to conclusions. I I couldn't help observing that you did whatever. I'm just explaining to them how it seemed to me, right? Telling them how I saw the situation very casually in a way, at least the first time it happens for a sort of situation which is not horrible. If I see my teammate doing something horrible, breaking the law or being a complete bully, I should have a firmer reaction. But assuming those things are rarer, I'm addressing the kind of not so nice, but not horrible kind of situations, which is when we should give feedback to people. We shouldn't give feedback only when they do something horrible, because that's usually late. We should give feedback when they're on the way to do something horrible (laughs) to help them not get there. So learn before it gets too bad kind of thing. 
Okay. And I assume it should be quite close to the happening. Maybe you cannot give it right then because let's say you observe your teammate talking to another more junior teammate and the feedback they're giving that person to you seems like it's not that useful. Unless they're being a complete bully and you need to stop it right now, it's not usually useful to just interrupt them and jump in. You're just going to create a situation that's unlikely to do anything good. Let them finish giving that feedback, imperfect as it is. And then immediately after or maybe half an hour later, whenever you find the time, address the situation. Yeah, but not a month later, because it's useless at that point. Regardless of the position someone is in, either as a team leader or team member, you should still follow more or less the same path. Try to understand the situation, create that bridge of trust that allows you to convey your advice in a way that it has a good chance of being taken into account. Recognize the person's valid points in that particular situation. And your advice should be the kind of advice or suggestion that overall leads towards the best results. Yes. Sometimes the team is wrong. Sometimes the customer is wrong. Sometimes the organization itself has a wrong model that it's built on. So that advice should actually be the kind of feedback that leads the team towards actually reaching the common goal in the long run, right? Yes. And I think for any kind of advice to be successful, the most important thing is it has to feel like it's not selfish. So when you give me some feedback or you tell me that I did something wrong, it has to feel to me like you're not doing that just because, oh, you you got me. You feel proud that you know more than I do, or you're just a manager feeling good about enforcing things. It has to feel like you're doing it for me. You're actually thinking about me and about the greater good of the team and the client, everything together. If you manage to make me feel like that and actually intended like that, I think it's going to be received very well or a lot better than otherwise. But if I feel that this is just an opportunity for you to prove your superiority to me or just show off that you know more than I do or just feel good about telling people what to do and what not to do, I'm much more likely to reject that advice. It should definitely not be self-serving, but rather team-serving or goal-serving. Oh, yes. If you also have a formal position of authority, you'll be able to push it through by force, so to say. But that's not what we're talking about here. Okay. Yeah, because otherwise it defeats the point of leadership altogether, correct? And then going back to the point of view of the leader, our initial conversation before we talked about how colleagues give feedback to each other. If I'm a leader and I go back to that example, maybe I'm the head of project management and I see a project manager making that mistake, getting too defensive with the client. And I address the situation and I have a conversation and I ask that person what happened. Now I need to think about Do they actually know how to do it differently, how to behave differently? Maybe they agree with the idea that they should behave differently, but they don't know how to do it. Maybe they don't have the skills or they don't know what words to use or how to approach a discussion like that. Maybe they don't even know they don't know, or maybe they're too ashamed to say they don't know. You're working on the motivation and the skills at the same time. You want the person to understand what they did wrong and to have the motivation to not want to do it anymore, to agree in principle that this is not good. I need to do it in a different way. But you also want them to understand how to do it and to have the skills to do it. Sometimes these things are hidden in the sense that many people that don't know how to do something will say that they don't want to do it. And maybe people that don't want to do it, they'll say they don't know how to do it. You have this kind of conversation, for example, with someone and say, can you do that in three days? And sometimes if they don't want to do it, they won't say, I don't want to. They'll just explain to you how difficult it is using very technical language. They'll talk about all the risks and all about the 
unpredictability. And that's not really one they want to talk about. The core thing here is that they don't want to do it. So they're trying to hide behind complexity. You need to have an intuition about that and address the core issue, which is why don't you want to do this? Which might be because they don't agree with it, because they're generally upset about whatever. And that would be the core issue in that situation. And sometimes, especially when people are upset or demotivated, the thing they say is the problem is not the problem. You need to get deeper than that. The only way to do that is by listening, asking the right questions and sort of probing in the right places. I'm not rushing to conclusions and just, okay, I gave you some quick feedback and I'm moving on. That usually doesn't work. This is a new component of the whole process, which is while you're investigating why a certain mistake happened and why someone had a specific behavior, ideally you should also find out if that person has the tools necessary to correct that mistake, that behavior. Yes, you can do it very easily. Let's go back to the project manager example. And let's say I asked that person what happened. I understood. I asked a couple of questions and I've managed to explain to them the general idea that this is not the way to do it. My next question is, how do you think you can prepare for this in the future and approach it differently in order to avoid this kind of a situation where you feel boxed in a corner? And here's when you get into the specifics. Maybe they need to have a a better plan prepared or multiple versions of the plan or have a different kind of meeting or have a better meeting agenda or talk more frequently to the client to understand more frequently what they want, specific things they need to do. Once we agree on the principle, we move on to how can you do it? And we make sure that they have some way to approach it. They're not completely lost. We don't have to give them everything in detail, but just make sure they know at least in which direction to go in order to fix that problem skill-wise. If I'm understanding you correctly, advice that provides just the solution is incomplete advice. It should also contain maybe a component of how to implement the solution, right? For example, some things are really very simple, right? If you work with someone on the same thing all day long and they make all kinds of simple mistakes and we give each other feedback 50 times a day or very specific things, we don't have to go through all this process every time. But I'm talking about the more complicated situations that have multiple dimensions. You need to take everything into account. You need to understand their point of view, the emotional state through which they went when that happened and if they even know what we're trying to do here. And I'm not kidding. In this example, what is the value that I'm trying to convey. The value is that we care about our customers and we want to understand things from their point of view and we want a happy customer. That seems obvious, but sometimes maybe you hired someone from another company that actually didn't behave in that way. Maybe in that company where they came from, they actually did things like this. They used all the dots and fine print in contracts to avoid doing anything extra for the client. So maybe that person is not even on the same page on the obvious things. So you have to make sure you have your foundations aligned with that person before you go to the specifics in those kinds of situations for sure. I want to also add the value of team trust. That's also implicit when you actually do the question asking, the active listening and the attempt to provide advice. That's also a value that you convey while you're doing this process, right? Yes. That person has to trust you as the leader that you're not going to misuse this mistake they made. Because, for example, let's say you're six months later, you're doing their evaluation. And you tell them, I'm not going to promote you because you made this mistake and that mistake. And if this is part of the reason why you're not promoting them, then what is the lesson for them? The lesson is that they should not be open with you. They should not admit their mistakes. So they need to trust you as the leader that they can be honest with you, trusting that as long as they're trying to fix it and then doing their best effort, this is now going to come and bite them later. They need to trust that you're not going to abuse this. As long as they're trying to improve and as long as they're making progress, it doesn't matter. It's not something that's going to cost them in the future. Naturally, the question that must be asked here is, what's the consequence of making a mistake then? 
And I don't want to take this into the direction of punishment. I mean, I don't know, is some form of punishment necessary here? Or let me phrase it another way. Is feedback in this format enough for mistakes to be prevented in the future? You start like this. Let's say this is the first time this person makes this mistake. You start with the best of assumptions and with the best of intentions. It's the first time it's happened. We're not here to punish anyone. Let's assume everyone has the best of intentions. Everyone tried to do the right thing as they understood it and it just got confused. That's why we're not thinking about punishing anyone for now with anything, because it's just the first time we talk about this. Maybe they make this similar mistake two weeks later. We talk to them again. Maybe we find out they're trying to improve, but it's still challenging and they still made a similar mistake, but not as big. Even that's okay. It's not fixed yet, but they're trying to improve. And maybe they make it a third time and a fourth time, but in a couple of months, they actually fix this problem and they learn new skills, new ways of approaching these situations. And actually, that's fine. I don't feel the need to punish anyone in that situation. However, if they refuse to improve, obviously, and we tell them once, two times, three times, and they just refuse to improve, then the consequence of those repeated mistakes and the refusal of trying to fix those mistakes and improve, yeah, there will be a consequence in that situation. Obviously, they cannot do their job anymore. Doesn't mean you fire them, but obviously there's a consequence. And there's also a consequence if they want to improve, but they simply can't. So you have three scenarios when they want to improve and they can, not overnight, but within a reasonable time frame, which is the ideal scenario. You have the scenario where they don't want to improve because they're just jerks, which is another simple scenario. You just don't want them in your team. And then you have the middle scenario, which is they want to improve, but it's actually really, really difficult for them. And it's taking them a long time, more time than you have at your disposal. You appreciate the fact that they want to improve, but you don't have three years to wait until they can do the job they need to do today, right? In this middle scenario, there's also consequence. You have to take them away from that job. But at the same time, you appreciate their attitude, you appreciate their willingness to improve. And if you have another job in the company or in the team that's suited for them, you offer them that option and you give them as many options as you can where they could be successful. So then I want to say that in this process of making sure that you as a leader consistently provide feedback, you're invested in this particular type of behavior and you lead by example, you show it in yourself and you help the team also provide feedback consistently, the leader should recognize the possibility for behavior change towards the better, right? So while you're providing this feedback, while you're seeing these mistakes being made and you're accepting that it takes a while to change them, you should observe if the person has indeed the ability to make that change within a reasonable time frame. You're allowing them the space to learn and the opportunity to learn and you're observing if that's genuinely feasible or not, right? Yes. For example, I've worked with people for years on helping them improve certain aspects of their behavior at work. With some people, we decided to interrupt work in a month because we disagreed on the principles and they just didn't want to do it the way we wanted to do it. And we had completely different opinions about how things should be done. And then I've had people that were really good at some things in my teams, really, really good. Generally, as individuals, really willing to grow and willing to admit mistakes and to make improvements. But on certain aspects of their job, they were really, really bad. For example, I had people that were good at talking to and uh, understanding people and fixing problems and being very adaptable, flexible, but they were really bad with planning. So they would never manage to plan anything. They would always be surprised by things. They would always be late with things. They would not foresee what's happening next week. But when they got to doing something, they were amazing. They were like Mr. Wolf from Pulp Fiction. They would fix any situation, right? I accepted that. I accepted the fact that they were really bad at something because they were really good at other things. At the same time, they were trying to do their best in the thing they were not so good at. At some point, we both accepted that they were never going to be great at that. 
that. It's not your strong point. So why even invest in it? This is another conversation. If you have some strong points and some weak points in your skill set, should you invest time in correcting the weak points or should you invest time in getting even better at the things you're good at? I usually am of the opinion that you should invest time getting better at the things you're really good at. If you have someone like this, for example, that can fix any situation and it's very adaptable and very flexible, but they're not good at planning, why should they spend time getting good at planning only to get maybe mediocre? Why not let them be super, really extraordinarily good at the thing they're really good at and just use them, quote unquote, find a place for them where they can use the skills that they have. Sometimes it's not as easy to come up with a formula, so to say, but as long as people want to do good, to improve themselves, I think you have someone you can talk to and it's worth investing in that. That actually leads me into a direction for a topic for another episode, maybe, which is in the context of recognizing people's skills and the things that they are very good at and the things that they would maybe want to improve. I feel like a good leadership model strives to create balanced teams in terms of skill set to the point where maybe some people will never be good at a specific skill, no matter how much they try, but they do bring a valuable contribution to the team. Therefore, maybe someone else on the team could compensate for that particular skill set. And together as a team, everybody balances each other off in a way that makes that team be the most productive or the most uh, successful in achieving a goal. I think you summarized it perfectly. For example, just talking about myself, I am not good when it comes to working in a context that is very organized and predictable. Companies with very clear processes and ways of doing things. I'm not good at that. But it took me a while to learn that that's fine. I mean, I could do it, but it wouldn't be my thing. Long term, I wouldn't be happy there and I wouldn't be very good at that. So I just don't put myself in those situations. If I would ever be offered the job, for example, or a consultancy role, if a client comes to me now and tells me, Andre, I want to hire your company company to consult our managers in how to always adhere to the process and never break the rules, I would say I don't want to do that. I understand how that works, but that's not me. I think that's part of leadership as well. Recognizing the things you're not good at and then having people in your team that are good at that. A mistake leaders make is that sometimes they want everyone to look like them. So for example, if they are the kind of people that are very good with making decisions quickly and having initiative and adapting, not getting scared by uncertainty, Sometimes when they hire people, they look for the same qualities they have. But maybe sometimes you don't want that. You don't want five other people in your team that think exactly like you and have the same biases. Maybe you also want someone that is opposite from you. And you know already when you hire that person that you will disagree continuously. And that's exactly the point. You want someone in your team that will look at things differently. I think that's also part of understanding how to build a team. I totally agree. I know where you're coming from. I've seen this in practice, both as a good example and as a bad example. I've seen and I've been on teams where leaders had these aspirations for everybody on the team to think and act like themselves. And I've also seen people who genuinely look for differences in others so that the variety of opinions is higher and the potential outcome can benefit from that variety of opinions. I feel that we can explore this topic further in uh, another episode. I would really like us to talk about the health way to set up a team in a context of having good leadership in a company. But for today, thank you for your input and uh, really looking forward to the next conversation that we have. Thank you for having me and uh, it's been a pleasure again. Thank you so much for being with us today. This has been another episode of LD Spotlight. If you'd like to get in touch and join the conversation, write to me at liz at niftylearning.io or connect with me on LinkedIn at Liz Stefan. Have a productive week, everyone.